Good morning, Veritas. How are we doing this morning? Doing all right? Daylight savings? Feeling good about that? Uh, no? Someone said no. It's like a no. Uh, yeah, it, it, you know, you realize this as parents, uh, there's like you have little kids, there's a time where daylight savings works against you, you know, because kids still wake up at the same time. It's like five in the morning. You're like, wait, they don't automatically sleep in? Is that what, is that what you're feeling? Okay. Feeling me on that one? All right. So uh, anyway, uh, today's my birthday, turned 47, so great. Uh, we just had to get that out of the way, because some people are like, do I, do I tell them? Like, I saw it on Facebook this morning, blah, blah, yeah. So anyway, I, yeah, it's great. That's out of the way now. I want to start with the text. We're in James 2 this morning, and uh, so I want to start by transporting you back to Omaha 30 years ago, 1993, and I want you to uh, meet little 16-year-old Mark. Okay, so this is, uh, uh, the math isn't right on that because I'm 47 and whatever. Anyway, uh, so it's about 30 years ago. Uh, little 16-year-old Mark was a sophomore in high school, uh, timid, insecure, just started living for Jesus, just started walking with the Lord, like really following him, uh, had just gotten baptized. Uh, you know, in, in my little youth group, uh, our youth pastor is leading worship on a microphone, no band, like just playing through CDs through the PA system. And it was embarrassing, but I'm like, well, this is what it means to follow Jesus, like be a little embarrassed, but, but we're just singing along to these tracks. And, and uh, so out of, the, out of my peripheral vision, I see someone walk in to the room. And the person that walks in is, is Mike Hermson. Now, I have this moment of sheer terror because Mike walked in the room and also total awe and ecstasy. Might be the word like, no way. This is crazy. Mike was the, there's like the cool kids and then there's the coolest kid, the cool of the cool. Mike was, he's like homecoming king. Like I'm just starting to go through puberty and he's like a man. Right, this guy's like he's a linebacker. He's starting on varsity. He's ripped. He's the man, and he walks into the room, and I'm like John before Jesus in Revelation, pale as a ghost. I fall as though dead on my knees. You know, right? Like I'm in my mind. I'm like, whoa, this, this is this is happening. And so I have this moment, and I have this thought, dude. If Mike becomes a Christian. He's going to make Jesus great at Burke High School, where I, where I go, right? Like this, this is going to be a total game changer. Christianity is about to be cool at my school if Mike could come to know the Lord. And then I have this moment of like insecurity. I'm thinking all those people in the front with their hands up. I'm like, guys, let's not be weird today. A cool person's in the room, right? And uh, some of you guys uh, may have thought that. So... Wow, here's the question. What would you say to 16-year-old Mark about this whole scene at youth group? If you could just have a moment to pause the story of my life and have a little conversation with me, what would you say to me? Here's what I think God would say to me. James chapter 2. My brothers and sisters... Do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, 
and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. If you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? See, we have a problem. All of us have a problem. And I think all of us have a little of that 16-year-old version of Mark in us where we show favoritism. Did a bug just, what was that? (laughs) What is this that's happening right in front of us? Let's just, somebody deal with that. Uh, (laughs) It's amazing. So all of us have a version of this where we never outgrow this this tendency that we have toward favoritism, right? We are impressed and we give extra favor to people with wealth, status, prominence, right? Appearance, influence. Maybe they have a radiant personality and we kind of want to be around them, be associated with them. It's like an adult version of the cool kids table, right? We all want to be around that and in that. So James says, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This word favoritism, what is that? I think we all kind of know what it is. But this Greek word is, it means to receive the face, receiving the face. It's a word they just invented because we don't see it other places in Greek literature. But here it is, uh, the New Testament writers, it's just like judging someone based on external appearance, based on their face. And this idea in verse 4, it says, haven't you made distinctions? And it's plural, like there's not just one way that we do this. We have a lot of different ways of favoring different people. So it's not just rich and poor. There's, There's a lot of ways that we can show favoritism And look at verse 2, it says, let's work through the text. It says, if someone comes into your meeting, what what is the meeting? What is the setting? Uh, We don't know for sure. Probably a a church gathering. And someone is wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. This, in in their culture, probably gold rings on all their fingers. Uh, In their culture, they think in the first century you could even rent jewelry to have an appearance of, of wealth, position. So maybe this person comes in and they want to be noticed. Or maybe they just are a person of influence and wealthy or whatever. Don't know for sure. But another person comes in and dressed in filthy clothes. This is the idea of like, kind of like a homeless person. What we might see just in rags. And if you look with favor on the one wearing fine clothes, so based on what this person is wearing, you you kind of separate them. Okay, this person, sit in a nice place. Sit here in a good place. Yet you say to the poor person, stand over there. Sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions? 
Uh, different translations, NIV, New American Standard, use the word discrimination. Haven't you discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's the idea is discrimination in the church, favoritism based on appearance or status. And I want you to remember the audience. And we can have compassion for them because they were this persecuted, poor, marginalized group of people. And in walks that rich, influential person, and you know what they're thinking, like, this person can help us. It's like, maybe this person can change the laws for us. Maybe this person can make Jesus great in our city because of their greatness. We can use that. We can leverage their power and their money for Jesus. We get this. And James says, don't do that. Do not show favoritism. And then what does he say? He doesn't just say, do not show favoritism. He says, do not show favoritism, what? As you hold on to, as you hold on to what? Your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. This is one of only two times in the whole book of James that Jesus' name is mentioned. And he gives him every title. He doesn't just call him Lord Jesus. He calls him glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is James doing this? Because here's, here's the thing. What's the first thing that happens when we take our eyes off of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ? When Jesus leaves the room, as it were. Like right now, Jesus is here among us. He's alive. He's present. And what happens the moment we pretend like he's not in the room. What do people do? Well, look at verse 4. This is what they do. They start making distinctions. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? See, when Jesus is in the room like he is now, I, when I walk up to preach, like my prayer is always the same. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like, I'm opening the Bible, and I realize, like, I am under the authority of Jesus Christ. And I can't even measure up to the things I'm talking about, except when we land at the cross and the grace of God. I can, I can qualify for that, right? Just like all of us. But we are under the lordship, the authority. Like, the judge is in the room. And what happens when he's not in the room anymore? We become our own judges with evil thoughts. That's what James says here. We all become judges with evil thoughts. We discriminate. We elevate some. We lower others. We all have our little, we just make up our own system of judgment. We all do this. Take Jesus out of your life. You become a little judge on the throne. And here's the question. How would we, what's an example we could give of how people do this? What's an example, what's a place we could think of that 
where Jesus Christ is not glorified as Lord. Let's see, what example could we come up? Oh, the world? <laughs> the world right now? How does our world solve the discrimination problem? You see it and you hear it all the time. Like, this is how the world solves the favoritism, discrimination problem. We say, okay, there's the problem of injustice, oppression. Like, we would look at these people in James's time, the church, and we say, you guys are marginalized, oppressed. And we would look at them and we would find all the identity markers that cause someone to be oppressed. And, you know, it might be uh, th- anything from race, your, your class, your gender, identity, how you identify, uh, your physical ability, maybe your age. And we would look at those things and we would say, wow, it, each of those sort of identity markers show how oppressed you are or like how marginalized or how privileged you are. And so we look at people and we're just like, okay, you have this many checks against you with maybe oppression. Maybe you're a minority, you're poor, and you identify with a gender identity that is, is marginalized or discriminated against. And so the more checks you have against you, the more oppressed you are. And on the other side, you're rich, you're this, you're that. Like you're privileged. And so what we need to do is we need to tear you down and we need to lift you up. So here's the question. Now that might have some merit in looking at systems of injustice which exist. But how does God deal with this problem? Look at Leviticus chapter 19 verse 15. Because I think James is using this passage. He doesn't ever quote this, but he will as we get into next week. We're going to talk more about the whole judgment thing. But look at Leviticus 19. This is, this is like one of the first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Like this is, this is foundational stuff here. This is the law, Old Testament law. Do not act unjustly when deciding a case. Do not be partial to the poor or... Give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. And then this next verse in 18, Leviticus 19, 18, Jesus quotes this. And he includes this as the greatest command, as part of it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Like, as long as I'm in the room, we're not going to judge people based on these identity markers, class, race, social status, all, all that stuff. Like, that's not how we're going to do judgment in God's family, right? And here it is. When you show favoritism or discriminate, you are claiming God's right to stand in judgment over other people. And so the first point, if you're taking notes, favoritism thrives where the glory of Jesus doesn't. Favoritism thrives, it flourishes where the glory of Jesus doesn't. And I think our world is an example of that. James is saying, keep your focus on Jesus and it will free you to love people, not use them. 
to have mercy, not to judge them. Right? Not to, not to put someone in a, in a prison because they are poor or they're rich, because they're this or they're that. When we see people, and we'll, we'll learn more about this in the weeks to come, about what it looks like to be a people of mercy. But the point here is that, that when our eyes are off of the glory of Jesus, like little 16-year-old Mark, when he stopped worshiping to the cheesy you know, <laughs> Christian songs of the 90s, and I looked over and all I saw was Mike, Mike the big deal, uh, Mike's glory walked into the world room and I was, whew, I showed favoritism. And this is what's so interesting. Um, what you favor shows what you idolize and worship. There's something about favoritism that reveals the idol's of our hearts. Because think about what was it that I wanted as a 16-year-old? I wanted what every middle school, high schooler wants. I want to sit at the cool kids' table. I want that. And so I idolized it in someone else. What is it for you? What, who are the people that you favor? And, and what does that reveal about you? Because maybe you're like, well, I, don't, I don't care about rich people, powerful people. In fact, I don't like them. I favor, and fill in the blank with whatever, okay, well then that's what you might idolize, right? I was, I was uh, talking to uh, my wife, Letha, about this this morning. She's like, I don't, <laughs> she's like, I don't think I idolize, I don't, I don't favor, you know, the rich or anything like that. And I was like, we were talking about it, processing. She's like, well, I do favor, if someone has fruit trees, <laughs> so if you have fruit trees, Letha wants to be your friend, right? Like what, whatever, we all have something. We all have something. I just got into hunting. If you have land, I'm like, oh, I want to be your friend. You got property? I want to hunt, right? So, so you, whatever, yeah, like you have something that I want. Maybe you have stuff that I could use. Maybe... You have a bunch of letters behind your name, PhD, MD, doctor, and, and hey, I'm in training, and I kind of want to be a part of that. I want to be in your orbit. You're useful to me and my career. I want to be on your journal article, right? I want to be in your research. I want to be published with my name on your, whatever. We all have ways that we do this. And the way that we use people, favoritism reveals our idols. So who do you favor? Athletics. Whoa, can you believe this person walked in? We want to be around them. My, my kid's an athlete. They might get noticed. They might get a scholarship, right? That person's beautiful. I want to be around them. Look at James 2, verse 5, where he goes from here. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Just a quick Bible review. Quick overview of the Bible. Here's a question. Who did God choose to be a part of his kingdom? Like, who are the kind of people that God leans toward when he wants to invite people into his kingdom? 
I want to just show you a couple things. Uh, let's go back, because you could argue that this scripture, James 2.5, is like written on every single page of the Bible. I want to just do a quick review. Deuteronomy, and you can just write these down. We're going to run through these just real quick, just a few examples. Think about Israel, God's chosen people. Why did God choose Israel? Deuteronomy 7.7, 7. the Lord had his heart set on you and chose you. Why? Because you were powerful, rich, and I can make my name great if I could just get your attention. No, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. God took an old couple beyond the years of childbearing, and he's like, I'm going to make Abram and Sarah a great nation. This is like the very beginning of the story. Okay, let's keep going through the story. God wants to bring his son and introduce Jesus Christ to the world. Who does he go to to announce this amazing birth? Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. I'm really apologized to bring this up before Christmas. Uh, But (laughs) the angels come to the shepherds, right? I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the city of David. Oh yeah, by the way, David, shepherd boy that became the king. Yeah, that David. In the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. God goes to the shepherds, the dirty Blue collar, out in the sticks, watching the sheep, shepherds to announce Jesus coming. Okay, well, let's, what about Jesus' followers? Acts 4.13. When they, it's these religious leaders, the elite of the day, observed the boldness of Peter and John, realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. These Who did Jesus choose as his posse? Some fishermen. And what did the people look and they're like, oh, they're uneducated, untrained, simple, average, ordinary people, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we are because of it. Luke 10, 21, at that time, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Jesus is looking at these poor people that are following him and coming to know Jesus, and he's laughing about it. He's like, this is hilarious. God, you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and you reveal them to these these people. That's hilarious. That's great. And James is reminding of this. Don't you remember who the heirs of the kingdom are? Here's the second point if you're taking notes. God honors the lowly to show that anyone can get in on this. Anyone. If you come for these people down here, that means anyone can get in on it. Jesus, if he would have come just for the rich and powerful kings and queens, the poor might be thinking, well, that's just for them. That's just for nobility is just for people in high places. No, Jesus comes down to the poor. And James wants to draw our attention to how God works in his kingdom. 
So here's my question. Wait a minute. Don't favor the rich. Don't show favoritism. But God favors the poor. That's not fair, is it? Another way to ask this is, why does God like to work this way? I think it's because when God picks people like us and works through average, simple people, he gets all the glory. And he says, didn't God choose the poor in this world? And I think this is so important. You got you to just see this right here. He chose the poor in this world, what? To be rich. Ooh. He chose them to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. See, the advantage that poor, suffering people have over the comfortable rich is that they are more likely to see their need for Jesus. See, the goal here is not to become poor or to favor the poor over the rich. The goal is to show people where true spiritual riches are. That's what we want to do. The true spiritual riches are in Jesus. This morning, if you're rich in the eyes of the world, you, I've got another way you can be rich. It's a more important way. It's to be rich in the love of Jesus Christ. If you are poor this morning, there's a way that you can be rich it's to be rich in your faith, in love for Jesus Christ. That's where James is pointing us this morning. So I want to say to little 16-year-old Mark, look in the mirror and remember the story. God doesn't choose the most powerful, wise, intelligent, cool kids to advance his kingdom he chooses little skate punks like you, and he overwhelms them with the glory of Jesus. That's how God likes to work. I want to end our time with a story and a vision for us as a church to live into. So I was at a, an event for pastors, and I was hanging out at this church. I was looking at their, their building, getting ideas because Veritas is currently working on plans to expand uh, a new auditorium. Uh, obviously, we're outgrowing this, and I'm sure you'll hear more about this in days to come. Uh, these are exciting times. God's blessing us, growing us, and, and all that. It's, it's really cool. So kind of trying to, to prepare for the future and and uh, even you guys know this, this Advent offering is coming up in December. We, this, the last few years we've been doing this like, hey, let's prepare for the future. Let's pay off our debt. Let's see what God has for us. And, and we're excited about this. So I'm, I'm at this, this conference for ministry leaders. And uh, one of the guys that's, that's leading the conference introduces me uh, to a, another guy that's speaking at the conference. And I'm introduced to this guy as... Mark, you got to meet this guy. This guy is the guru on church growth. Like this, this pastor here has led mega churches all over the U.S. He's planted and built churches to over like 30,000 people. Like this guy is the guru. I was like, wow. Uh, and, and this guy jumps right in. Before I even say anything, he goes, 
Hey, how many people you got at your church? How many seats? How big's your budget? Tell, tell me your budget. What are, what are the numbers for that? Okay, let's talk about your givers. Let's, let's break it down. How many whales you got in your church? And this barrage of information's coming at me. I'm like, I don't know how many people come. I mean, whales, who are whales? What are whales? He's like, whales, you don't know what whales are? I'm like, no, I, I don't. And he's, he's like, whales, you know, people in your church that give over $100,000. You need to know who the whales are. And how many of them you have will determine how big your campaign can be. And I have this moment of just simultaneously anger. You could like see the steam coming off my face and sick to my stomach with grief that this is the state of the church in America. These are the pastors. I'm like, am I talking to a pastor or the CEO of Costco telling me how to grow our franchise? Because all those business principles work in the church. It works. And he's like, you need to meet the whales. You need to know who they are. You need to start being friends with them. And you need to give them a vision for how they can use their money to build the church. You know, Veritas, we've been talking about how are we going to keep from becoming a lukewarm megachurch. And one of the ways that we plan to do that is by obeying God's word. And so we plan on just obeying James 2. And James says, hey, don't do that. Like, that, like hey, yeah. Don't go whale hunting. I think that's what James 2 is saying. So yeah, we don't plan on doing that. And here's what I want to say. If you, if you are a person of great wealth or prominence or whatever, I just want to say, we are so glad that you're here. And we want to welcome you. Like, we're not going to tear you down and make you feel bad about that. Like, that's all a gift from the Lord. He's blessed you. And you should not, if you have guilt about the house you live in and all that, like, don't, that's, no. We, we're so thankful you're here. But you know one thing I've learned? One of the ways to steal the joy of giving is to tell someone how much they should give. And one of the things that I just believe is that if you're here, and no matter where you're at on the socioeconomic scale, I just believe that if Jesus is the most glorious thing in your life and you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's going to show you what that looks like in your, the check that you write or whatever, right? Like we just, God will take care of that. We just want you to be so in love with Jesus Christ and we don't want to use you for what you have we want to love you for who you are. Like the vision for you at Veritas is not show up and pay the bills. The vision for you is show up and see how glorious Jesus Christ is. 
And you know, there's a story of a guy in the New Testament. His name was Joseph, a Levite. And he shows up and God gets a hold of his life. This is Acts 4. And he sells a piece of property. I don't know. This thing's probably worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he takes the money and he just gives it to the leaders of the church. He's like, just do whatever you want with it. Jesus is awesome. And this guy, because of what he did, got a new name. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Isn't that awesome? That God gave this prominent, wealthy guy a new name. I just want to say, at Veritas, if you're here this morning, wouldn't it be cool to get a new name? Because some of you guys are used to people getting around you for how they can use you and what you have. And maybe God just wants to give you a different name. Son of encouragement. Maybe your whole life you've worked hard to get all those letters behind your name. Right? Or you've, you've thought about all that you have and how important you are. People looked up to you because of your education position. And you got a bunch of letters behind you that show how amazing you are. And wouldn't it be cool if Veritas is a place where you could like leave all your letters at the door? You walk in and it's like doctor, MD, PhD, CEO, CFO, POTUS, GOAT, whatever your letters are. <laughs> you can just leave a, and you can just come in and just be in awe of Jesus with all of us. Paul had a bunch of letters behind his name. And do you know what he called it in Greek? Skubalon. This is Philippians. He's like, oh yeah, all those, all that I, my accomplishments, it's like a pile of, yeah, that word. That's, that's what it is. It means nothing. It is nothing. What matters is Jesus Christ and his glory. So I want to end with this. So, so here's the vision for us as a church to live into, Veritas. Have you guys heard the story of the Lord of the Rings? Uh, these, these little, you know the heroes of the story? They're these little people called what? Hobbits. Hobbits are, they're halflings, halflings. Like they're not even, can't even call them a full person. They're just like half a person. They got big feet and they're gardeners and, and they're just simple average to below average people. And in the story, there's this ring of power and, and they, one of these little hobbits gets chosen to destroy this ring of power. It's like the heroes of the story are these like halfling hobbits, Right? And at one point, this hobbit Frodo meets this great prince named Faramir. And I want to, here's the interaction they have. Faramir meets Frodo. He says, well, Frodo, now at last we understand one another, said Faramir. If you took this thing on yourself, unwilling and others asking, like everyone else is like trying to get a hold of the ring and Frodo's like, I don't want it. And they're like, okay, you're taking it. Unwilling and others asking, then you have pity and honor from me. I marvel at you to keep it hidden and not to use it. You are a new people, a new world to me. Are all of your kin of like sort, like are all you guys like this? Are all the hobbits like you guys? Your land must be a realm of peace and content and there must gardeners be in high honor. Like wherever you guys are from, you guys must highly esteem blue-collar workers and farmers and gardeners. Well, not all is well there, said Frodo, but certainly gardeners are honored. I love that. Simple gardeners represent true nobility and honor 
in the Hobbit story. And the Hobbits are from this place called the Shire. And that's what I hope Veritas is like, the Shire, a place that honors gardeners, a place where the surgeon or the CEO or the rich and famous serve in Veritas kids and give in secret with no plaques with their name on it, that serve coffee, that lead small groups, a place where teachers and nurses, like we know the pecking order when we go into the hospital based on what you're wearing or what tag you have on, right? I care about what color you have, tag you have on if you're doing my brain surgery, okay? Uh, but when you walk into Veritas, doesn't matter. In fact, we honor and we think it's noble those people that the world disregards. So, Veritas, let's not lose our hobbit sensibilities. Okay, a place where Jesus is glorified and all are welcomed and loved. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. My prayer for us is that you will be glorified in Veritas. That you would be such a big deal that we humble ourselves and we would see other people not for how we could use them but for how we can serve them and point them to Jesus. Give us a bigger vision for our lives than what the world has shown us. Let this be a place where people come and say, who are you people? Where you honor the lowly and the great are servants. Yeah, be our vision, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.